Aren't you proud of our students leading us today in worship by obeying the Lord in baptism? That gets you excited, doesn't it, to see our students do that? Praise the Lord for that. Appreciate what's going on in our student ministry right now and, and just seeing all that God is doing. God's doing a great work in our student ministry, all the way from Merge on up. Even through our college ministry, you may not realize that God's doing some great things even in there. We're watching these kids grow and students grow, and it's exciting for us to be able to see that. Uh, We're going to continue our study today of the characteristics of a powerful church from the book of Acts. And I think one of the things that we might say about these kind of characteristics or watching this church as we're reading uh, from the book of Acts is that we can identify with it in that we long for some of those same things. I think every one of us hopes to be used by God. I think that's a a hope in our heart is that we're used by God, that we have the opportunity to see God do amazing things in our lives, that we have the opportunity to experience some of these things. And, And you know, the reason that I think that that happens in our lives is because of how our initial entrance into the scriptures happens. You know, when, when you're a kid, when we're down in preschool ministry, what we start all the kids with is the Bible stories, right? And you're hearing about these powerful men and women of God who God used in these great ways. You know, what we, what we don't start them with is these studies of doctrine and we don't teach them about the end time. We, we start them with the Bible stories. And so they, they grow up hearing about Samson and they grow up hearing about Deborah and they, they hear about how God used David and, and they hear about these things and, and, and it's just easy for you to identify with that and, and to have that longing in the same way. You want to be able to serve the Lord in the same way. And, and we're reminded of that, that God uses ordinary people just like you, just like me, to do extraordinary things for his kingdom and his purposes. You know, for the last few weeks, I've been studying uh, the Psalms every morning. And there's a verse that I've been praying for myself every day. There's a verse that I've been praying for you, some of you by name every day. And there's, this verse has certainly been something that I've been praying for our church Every day, and I want you to see it. I want us just to look at this because I think it's important. It comes from Psalm chapter one, and we'll just read verses one through three. But it just says this, how blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the path of sinners, sit in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on that law he meditates day and night. And he'll be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and its leaf doesn't wither. And whatever he does, he prospers. And, and as I've been reading that and just praying over Psalm 1 and, and verse 3, you know, I, I'm, I'm a person, you know, you meet some people and they say like, what's your life verse? And they have life verse. I don't have a life verse. I have seasonal verses. You know, uh, these things just grip me and, and they hold on to me. And, and as we were kind of entering into the, the holiday season and thinking about Christmas, this verse just really started to grab me. Verse 3, where it says that, When you really abstain from evil things and desire to live righteously and you start letting the word of God be the thing that shapes your life, it says there's a promise here for us. And it's a promise, I think, for a church. It's a promise for individuals that that it says we're like a tree firmly planted by streams of water. And, and, you know, Jesus said that there was water that could come and satisfy our souls that would burst forth in our souls. You know, that, that we're fed by that. We're fed by the Lord Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit's feeding our lives and, and it allows us to grow. And it, and it says that we bear this fruit in our lives in season. And, and I don't think I had ever really realized this, but the, this idea of season's important. You know, if you have a fruit tree in your yard, it doesn't bear fruit four seasons out of the year. It, it bears a 
fruit in a season. It has a dormant season. It has a, a season where it's growing. And as we think about that, our church has seasons like that. Our church has seasons where it, it's dormant a little bit. It has seasons where, where it grows. It, it has seasons, though, where it's promised that there's a harvest out there where we can reap that harvest of souls and see what God is doing. I've been praying this verse over our lives because I believe with all of my heart that we've been in a planting season to be a powerful church. We've been in a planting season to be a powerful church. We saw that last week as this church was really interested in the book of Acts and sharing the gospel. And, and we had this milestone that we passed a couple of weeks ago. Uh, you may have noticed it or you may not have noticed it is that we crossed 50,000 gospel engagements again. That's the planting of the seeds of the word of God in our community. And, and so we're, we're two-thirds of the way towards this goal that we have of 150,000 gospel engagements. And we just praise the Lord for that because that's the planting of the word of God in people's lives. And we kind of see that as we see people being baptized today. You'll see it again tonight if you come back. We get to see people baptized and it represents this next step and then following Christ. And if we want to be a powerful church, not only do we have to be about the gospel as we saw last week, but we have to be obedient to preach the gospel. And I want you to see from this, this, this passage we're going to look at this week, the early church was obedient in two different ways, and God blessed that obedience. They, they were obedient to preach the gospel, just like Jesus had commanded, but then individually they were obedient to follow the Lord, and we'll see it immediately as they follow the Lord in baptism. So if you have your Bibles, and I hope that you do, turn to Acts chapter 8. Uh, if you have a phone or a tablet, let me encourage you just to put that thing on airplane mode and stash it away somewhere so that you won't get alerts and texts and phone calls this morning. I want you to be really locked into what the Word of God is saying to us this morning. I think it's important. Acts chapter 8, verse 25. We'll start there and read these first verses. It's about a, a man named Philip and an Ethiopian official that he had a gospel engagement with. And I want you to see it this morning. And I want you to see how Philip was obedient. The church was obedient to preach the gospel. And this Ethiopian official, fascinatingly enough, was obedient immediately to follow the word of God. Let's read in verse 25. So when they had solemnly testified and spoken the word of the Lord, they started back to Jerusalem and were preaching the gospel to many villages of the Samaritans. But an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip saying, get up and go south to the road that descends from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert road. So he got up and went and there was an Ethiopian eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all of her treasure, and he had come to Jerusalem to worship. And he was returning and sitting in his chariot and was reading the prophet Isaiah. Then the spirit said to Philip, go up and join his chariot. Now there's a couple of things that we can observe from this that are important for us to see. Philip was a guy who we read about first in Acts chapter 6. He was a deacon in the church, one of the first deacons that was ever ordained in the church. And, and it's interesting because deacons serve, and our deacons serve our church. They do all manner of things that you may not realize that they do. We have deacons all over our building this morning serving. You were probably met by some deacons in the parking lot. Uh, sometimes when we're short in preschool workers, our deacons are down there serving. They serve anywhere and everywhere. They do our widow's ministry that we need them to serve. We push them there and they serve. So Philip was obviously a man who was serving the Lord, 
but he was also preaching the gospel. Verse 25 said they had left Jerusalem and they were out preaching the gospel in this area called Samaria. Now, if, if you understand Samaria, you understand it's a place that Jews didn't go. But these Jews had been saved by the Lord Jesus Christ and were excited to see the gospel preached everywhere. And as they were heading back, what starts to happen is that they're stopping in every little village and they're preaching the gospel to anyone and everyone that'll listen to the gospel. And I want you to see what starts to happen. Things are going well, right? People are receiving the word of God. They've had a, a great kind of foray out into Samaria, but then all of a sudden the Holy Spirit has a change of plans. And I want you to understand when the Holy Spirit changes your plans, that's not a pain in the neck. When the Holy Spirit changes your plans, that's a blessing. When the Holy Spirit changes our plans and alters our course, changes the direction of our lives, changes our plans for a church, what that means is that God is at work, right? And, and this is what we see. This isn't some inconvenience. This is exciting. When God shows up and says, you had this planned and you're doing good and this is great, but I have a different plan. Come over here and I want you to do something. I want you to see what happens. God was on the move and when the Holy Spirit changes your plans, you need to be aware of this. God's about to do something powerful in your midst. When the Holy Spirit changes your plans, that means that God's about to do something powerful. So when we get excited about hearing God's voice or, or when we really long for his voice, we're filled with the Holy Spirit and God starts to do what he did in Philip's life. There's these divine gospel engagements that start to happen. People come across your path or God sets up opportunities for you. I, I think about it like this. I remember uh, when we first started talking about gospel engagements and these divine appointments that we would believe uh, God was going to give to us, one of the first ones that ever happened was uh, one of our members, Julie Robertson, walked out in her cul-de-sac and a guy walked out and she led him to the Lord. That, that's a divine appointment. That doesn't happen because you thought it was important, right? It, it happened because God just happened to inconvenience you, right? Holy inconvenience, changed your plans, and did something. And, and it's amazing how God does that. I, I think about it how last year in April, I had a, a set plan for a week, but God had some divine appointments for me. I'd never had an, anything like this happen. I, I had an appointment before work and an appointment after work with two different men, led them both to Christ. That, that doesn't happen every day. That's a divine appointment that God brings to your life when you're already doing what God wants you to do. See, Philip was already doing what God wanted him to do. He was already preaching the gospel. He was going and, and, and making sure that people knew about the Lord. And on the way of that, God says, I've got an interruption for you. I'm changing plans. Go over here. I want you to meet this official. When we get serious about doing it, God will interrupt our plans, our good plans, so that we can make these divine appointments so that we can show up on, on his agenda. And as we do that, God blesses and he starts to do amazing things. He lets us participate in the amazing work of sharing the gospel with people so that people are saved and lives are transformed. But I want you to see something. We can't miss this. It's too important. Philip was already preaching the gospel all over Samaria. He was going to people that, that most people tried to avoid. He wasn't afraid of that. He was hanging with those people. He was making sure that they had the gospel. They didn't look like him. They didn't act like him. They didn't talk like him. Their customs were different. Didn't matter a bit to Philip. Philip wanted to make sure that everybody had the gospel. Philip wanted to make sure that everyone had an opportunity to hear the gospel. And it was when he'd finished this and was headed back home to Jerusalem that God did something. He showed up. And you notice what Philip wasn't doing. He wasn't binge-watching Netflix. 
He wasn't doing that. He wasn't listening to his 10th podcast of the day. Philip wasn't listening to talk radio just to be consumed with his, his latest sports team. He, he, he wasn't doing that. Philip was already doing the work of the Lord. He was busy thinking about God's work. And I think a lot of times we say things like this. We read these stories and we go, oh man, I really wish that I could experience something like that, Lord. I really wish that I could see you move in power. Could you do it tomorrow though? Because I got eight hours of this show that I got to catch up on. You know as well as I do, there's not a thing in the world wrong with watching something on Netflix, as long as it's appropriate, all right? There's nothing wrong with playing golf, listening to podcasts, hanging out with friends. There's, not, there's, not, there's nothing wrong with that. Those things are meant to be distractions in our lives, you know, kind of rest a little bit, have some recreation with those kinds of things. But when they become the everything in our life, it crowds out the voice of God in our lives. There's no room for divine appointments. There's no place for it. Philip wasn't somebody who was playing golf all day, every day. He was out doing the work of the Lord, and God showed up and did something amazing. I was reading something that I think maybe we can relate to the other day, and it was talking about video game addiction. You may not know that there's such a thing, but there's video game addiction. And there's detox centers actually popping up all over the country right now to help people loosen the grip that video games have on their lives. And as people are studying this, they're finding there are changes that are taking place in the brain. And this article said something that I found amazing. It said, the problem with video games and, and the way that it kind of gets a grip on your life is that it rewards you for effort, not hard work. Do you notice a subtle distinction? Effort. I play long enough, I finally win. Right? I, effort is good. But hard work is different than effort, isn't it? Hard work is a little bit different. You know, sometimes we show up at work and we think because I put in effort, I should be rewarded even though everything I put my effort to failed. It doesn't work that way, right? And sometimes we say like this, well, like I would like to be the CEO of the company one day. Well, make your sales quota today, right? It's, it's not just about effort. It's about hard work that leads to results. And, and sometimes we as believers, we don't wanna put in a whole lot of hard work. We, we want to just sit back and, and hope that God just does it. And we don't want to put the hard work in. I had this conversation uh, with Kathy, my wife, this week as we were, we were talking about some amazing things that God was doing uh, in some different places that we were seeing. And we were talking about some of the leaders of some of those places. And, and you know, sometimes God blesses a ministry or a church or whatnot and you see it in the giftedness of the leader. The, the leader's just a person that they, they could open a Lego store and be gifted at it. They could open a swim club and be gifted. They could do anything and be gifted at it. They're naturally a gifted leader. But a lot of times, what'll happen in the natural giftedness, you'll see people fall away. They'll mess up. They rely on the strength. Now, I was thinking about that with Moses this week. Do you remember that when Moses was giving the plagues out to Egypt, God told him what it was going to be. Then God told him when he could initiate it. Then God told him when he could stop it. Moses had the power of God in him, but God was controlling it every step of the way. Later on, the one time that Moses gets in trouble, do you remember he gets angry with the people, takes his staff, hits a rock, and God says, you abused the power that I gave you and you're not gonna see the promised land now. It's this interesting thing that happens, right, in our lives. Sometimes, though, you see a leader and you see God blessing a ministry or a church, and I often wonder, maybe they've gone places we hadn't been willing to go. Maybe they fasted. 
maybe they've spent more time in prayer. Maybe they've been crying out to the Lord for years that you haven't seen these things. See, that's the difference just between some effort and some hard work. Hard work is getting before the Lord, doing what you need to do day in, day out, waiting on the Spirit, asking God to move in your life. That, that happens when nobody's watching, right? We all want what happens when everybody's watching. But, but Philip wasn't that way. I want you to see that it was so important that as he was doing what God wanted him to do, joining God in the work, God showed up with the Holy Spirit and started directing his paths. He was already being obedient to share the gospel. But then we see this next part of obedience. It wasn't just that the local church was being obedient to share the gospel. But people were being obedient to follow through with baptism. Look at verse 35. Philip opened up his mouth and beginning from this scripture, he preached Jesus to him. And they went along the road and came to some water. And the eunuch said, look, water, what prevents me from being baptized? And Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered, I believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God. And he ordered the chariot to stop. And they both went down into the water, Philip as well as the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away. And the eunuch saw him no longer, but went away rejoicing. This Ethiopian official had been seeking something. The first verses said that he was an official of the court of Candace. He was in charge of all of her treasury and he'd come to Jerusalem to worship. He, he was seeking to worship God and it was on his way back home. He's reading the copy of the scripture from the prophet Isaiah that he begins to be convicted of this. And when Philip approaches the chariot and says, hey, do you understand what you're reading? Do you, do you get it? And this official says, no, I, I, don't, I don't really understand what's going on. Well, that's a great way to approach people, isn't it? You ought, to, you ought to just think about that for just a second. Philip started with a question. Do you understand what's going on? When you start with a question with somebody, it opens up an opportunity for conversation. I heard my wife do this yesterday with somebody at our home. Uh, she just asked a question. And when you ask a question, it gives people freedom to talk. And as they were talking about this gospel engagement that was happening, it's an interesting way to get people to just ask them a question. That's what Philip did with this Ethiopian official. Tonight, we're going to be having his story training. We did my story last week. Had a lot of people come. It was a really refreshing time for us. Tonight, we're going to help you be able to answer his story, Jesus' story. What do you do when somebody says, I don't understand what I'm reading? You say, well, would you like me to explain it to you? What then? We'll teach you to take your Bible and walk right through the scripture with uh, four or five verses from the book of Romans and explain the gospel to someone. Uh, so you come tonight at six o'clock for that. It's really important. But I want you to see what happened. After hearing the gospel message in verse 36, look at what the Ethiopian official said. As they go along this road, he asked, look, there's water. What prevents me from being baptized? He, he'd come to an understanding of who Jesus was. He said, I believe he's the son of God. And you remember what, what happens is, this, this next step for him, he wanted to know if there was a barrier for him. And Philip just said, no, there's no barrier as long as you're a Christ follower. If you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, and you're saved, you receive the grace and forgiveness of your sins, you can, you can be baptized, you can be saved. I want you to see this because, you know, whenever we're following Jesus, there's always a next step of obedience. I, I feel like... You, you might start to think that I'm a broken record. I've said this so many times, but I really do believe this. We, we formed this entire vision of our church. We felt like God was leading us with this next step terminology because we believe that every person has a next step. It doesn't matter how old you are. You're, 
you're not too old to have a next step. Don't, don't stop for a minute and think that you're too old to have a next step. If you think you're too old to have a next step, go back and read the story of Abraham. Go back and read the story of Noah. Noah's an old guy when he starts building the ark. God's using him. You're never too old. By the way, you're never too young to have a next step. You're not too young to take a next step. Maybe to start reading your Bible. And what we say is that there are some steps that our faith demands that we all take in common, right? Coming to the faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, that's a step. But there are certain steps that depending on our life situation, our life circumstances, God's leading us to follow him. There's always a next step. And every week that you come to church, I'm hoping that what happens is your faith grows big enough for you to take the next step. Whatever it is, that's it. It's really simple. It's a really simple goal. Hard to put in practice though, isn't it, right? Because a lot of times we get to those next steps and on the other side of it, it feels like we don't know what's gonna happen when we take the step. Will there be something there to catch us? Will God be faithful then? Well, all of us have this next step. And obeying God does something in our lives. Obeying God in your life brings power to your life from the Holy Spirit. It cultivates the anointing of God in your life when you obey him. Because when we don't obey God, and for the believer, when we live in sin and rebellion, that's the fastest way in the world for you to quench the fire of God in your life. We're told, don't quench the Holy Spirit. Put the fire out. Don't, don't do it, it says. Right? When we live in rebellion, God says, it's time for you to take your next step. And you go, oh, no. It's not that our eternity is damaged. I mean, we're going to go to heaven. That's not it. But, but we lose the power. We lose the anointing of God in our lives. We, we have to be obedient because God loves our obedience. And I want you to see that. This man was ready to obey God. The next step, what prevents me from being baptized? I'm ready. I'm ready for the next step. For a person who believes in the Lord Jesus Christ, well, there's nothing that prevents them from being baptized. Unbelief's the only thing that would prevent it, and that's the logical next step. And I want you to see this, because there's a result of baptism that we often overlook. We find it in Jesus' baptism in the Gospel of Matthew. Let me read it for you, Matthew three fourteen. But John, that's John the Baptist, tried to prevent him, Jesus, saying, I have need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, saying, Permit it at this time, for in this way it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he permitted him. And after being baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending on, as on a dove and lighting on him. And behold, a voice of the heavens said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Can you imagine John the Baptist? Jesus comes up and says, hey, pal, cousin, they're cousins. I need you to baptize me. No way. Why would I be worthy to baptize you? What are you talking about? I can't baptize you. You're the son of God. And Jesus says, permit it because of a couple of things. He says, it's important for all righteousness to be fulfilled. That all righteousness needed to be fulfilled. That God had directed this and all righteousness needed to be fulfilled. And then we see that when Jesus came up out of the water, this is very important. Don't forget this came up out of the water for just a minute. Hold on to that. We're going to come back to it. The heavens opened up and God said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. God was pleased with the son's obedience. 
You remember what we said, blessing follows obedience. As we obey God, God does these great things in our lives. So I wanna just, I wanna just say this to you right now. If God's speaking to you this morning, or if he's been speaking to you over the past weeks about something in your life that needs to come under the control of the Holy Spirit, that needs to be brought into line with the scripture, that you need to be obedient on, you must do it now. You must do it now. That's righteousness in your life. And it's the, the pleasing look of God in your life. When you obey the Lord, it says he knows that we love him. And so I want you to think about it like that. I want you to see it like that. It's so important. So you remember this idea of blessing following obedience as we've been talking about it. Well, this obedience pleased God. He loved it. And so for us as Baptists, believers' baptism became something that was really important for us to do. Now, it hasn't always been this way. You know, Baptists didn't just start uh, at the beginning of time. That's not how it was. Baptists started out as members of other Protestant groups, probably that you would be familiar with. Uh, but as they read scripture, they began to see a distinction. In many of the mainline Protestant groups, uh, you see something that's called paedo-baptism, infant baptism. They still do it today. Uh, and we can trace all of this back. All of us, all Protestants can trace this back to the Catholic church. Okay, we all kind of came out of the Catholic church and this became one of the holdovers in Protestant life that we kept from Catholicism. But as Baptists were reading the scriptures, they began to see some scriptural references to baptism and they noticed something important. All of these references had two things in common. First, people were baptized after they were saved. So you don't get baptized to save you. I said this last week, this water, I mean, really, it's just water. If you're lucky, we heat it for you. If you're really lucky, they skim the flies out of it. You know what I mean? That kind of thing. I mean, it's water. The water in and of itself is not significant in the fact that there's something spiritual happening to you because of the water. You're not going to be saved by the water. It won't happen. But what happens is after you have been saved and come to know Christ, you're baptized. Uh, the name Baptist actually is a shortened form of what people originally called us. We were actually called Anabaptist, rebaptizers. That's, that's what the name meant. We were rebaptizers because all of the people who were being baptized at the time had already been poured upon or sprinkled as an infant. And in fact, Baptists, when they first started, that's how they started. They were re-poured upon. There was this idea of like, hey, we're reading this and we're seeing from the scriptural references that every time somebody is baptized, it's after they come to salvation. So we're gonna be poured upon. But then the second thing happened. They began to study this word and they began to notice these scriptural references to baptism always had this word. The word baptism itself just means to immerse. Now, the word in our English Bible is a transliteration. Now what that means is that it wasn't translated. It was taken from Greek, same sounds, and phonetically just brought over to sound something similar in English. Now you're probably familiar with something like this. Uh, one of our sister churches, one of our sister Baptist churches here in Nashville, in Brentwood actually, has a ministry to young adults uh, that they started back, I think it was like 2007, 2008. And they've, just, they've reached a lot of people, young professionals with this, and it's called kairos, right? Well, well kairos is, is a Greek word that is transliterated. It's not translated. If it was translated, it would be kairos, and it, the, the definition would mean season of time, time frame, right? And so you can understand, like, it, it sounds a little better to say kairos rather than like come to season, Right, it's just different. So there's a transliteration going on. 
So what happened was the English Bible translators are working for King James. And they get to this word baptize that means immerse. And there's all kinds of implications because in their church, they don't immerse. And so they said, let's just leave it alone and we'll just call it baptizo becomes baptism and we just leave it alone. Now, it's interesting because uh, if you understand baptism as immersion, it's the only picture that makes sense from a practical standpoint in the scripture. You're buried with Christ with baptism, raised to walk in new life in Jesus Christ. It's perfectly pictured by the baptism of immersion. You remember what we said about Acts chapter 38 and 39. Look what prevents me from being baptized. It says, they went down into the water. They came back up out of the water. This is happening right here. Philip and the Ethiopian official go down into the water and he baptizes them just like who? Jesus did. Went down into the water. Immediately when he came up out of the water, the scripture says that the heavens opened up. Behold, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. The New Testament language in its original language, Greek, has words that could be used and are used in the New Testament for sprinkling and for pouring. So if they wanted to use that word, they, they certainly could have. But, but I want you to see uh, that, that that wasn't going on. That's not how it happened. And that's important for us. Words are important. You say, well, how important? Pretty important. God said he spoke the word and the world came into being. Words spoken. God says that he sent the word, Jesus Christ. Words are important for us. And you know, I've had the opportunity to baptize a number of people in my life and it's always special. And it's always something that, that we take very seriously and Many of them were just like the Ethiopian official. It was their first time coming into faith in Christ and had the opportunity to baptize them. And I gotta be honest with you, of all the things that we get to do, there's probably not anything in my life that brings more joy than seeing someone just take their next step, get saved and take their next step. I'm reminded uh, of how that happened um, last year when in our first hour of life group, we had a man uh, receive Christ. He, he became saved in a life group class. And he came out to me and he said, Pastor, you must baptize me. And I said, I'd be happy to. We'll get it set up. And he meant, now. And I said, well, okay. You know, the water's going to be cold, buddy. And uh, we're not really ready for this. And he said, doesn't matter, Pastor. I want to follow the Lord in obedience. I want to be baptized. And so we did. And, and that's a special thing. You don't ever forget that. But you know, a lot of times I've had the opportunity to baptize people who came to, to our church as adults from a different faith background and, and I want to just say something because there, there are a couple of uh, questions that I hear a lot in these situations. And I want to just talk to you about this for a second because some have struggled to see the need to be baptized because they were sprinkled or poured upon as infants. And if I could just humbly point something out to you, I, I want to do it. It's that this is different. If you or I were sprinkled as an infant and brought into the covenant by our parents, well, we didn't have any choice in that matter. It was done for us. And baptism is something that's done in obedience in response to what we have experienced with Jesus Christ. Uh, and baptism is the sign that shows you belong to Christ after you have identified with his death, burial, and resurrection. I heard a pastor friend say, you know, it's, it's like the wedding ring that we wear. What happens is you wear it, and when you come in, it says taken, right? And baptism says that about our lives. It says that we've been taken by Christ. It says that we belong to him. It's the testimony to the church, to our friends, to our community that something different has happened in our lives. And I love that because it just says to us and to the world, taken. Christ has taken over my life. I love that. Another question that I get often is, 
if I'm baptized as a, an adult, will this invalidate what already happened in my life with, with sprinkling or pouring? And the answer to that is most certainly not. It doesn't invalidate anything at all. Uh, I actually think that baptism is the perfect complement to that. And, and here's why. Because uh, if you were lucky enough to have been brought to church by parents who loved you and, and who thought it was important that your spiritual life be formed, you should count yourself blessed. You should absolutely count yourself blessed by that. And so you say, well, my parents took me to church and I was, I was poured upon or I was christened or I was sprinkled. Fantastic. That is, that's an amazing thing that you had parents that loved you enough to do that. And, and you being baptized is this next step. We do the same thing here. I love it when we dedicate a child to the Lord. That's a powerful moment, not only for the church, but for the family who's bringing this child saying, we're going to do something important today. We're saying before God in this congregation that this child is important and this child is going to be loved and nurtured in the admonition of the Lord. But baptism is our next step in following Jesus. So it's a compliment to that. It, it's kind of saying, hey, my parents started me in something, but this is a compliment to what God has been doing in my life. And I think the final question that people say to me or it comes up is, uh, do you think that I have messed up God's plan in my life or that I'm somehow out of God's will because I haven't been baptized? And you know, I don't think you are at all. I think uh, one of the things that happens is it's similar to um, how God treats us in every aspect of our lives. You know, it's go and sin no more. You remember we were talking about this uh, a while back when we were talking about giving and you say, well, like, what if I've never tithed before? Do I owe God back tithes? God's not the IRS. Thank God. Uh, you know, he, he doesn't charge interest. He, he doesn't charge back taxes and those kind of things. It's, it's really, what have you done with the light that you've been given? What have you done with that? You know, the Apostle Paul was dealing with this kind of issue of, of teaching people and, and helping them to see as they were growing in Christ, things were different. And he spoke about this in Philippians chapter 3, verse 15. He said, let as many of us as perfect have this attitude. If in anything you have a different attitude, God will reveal that to you also. However, let us keep living by the same standard to which we have attained. You know what you're responsible for? We're responsible for what we know. Right? That's what we're responsible for. And so as God speaks to us about those things, we have an opportunity to respond to it. And so you, know, you realize, hey, I, I didn't know this. this. This isn't something that was part of my experience, but I'm, I'm reading the scripture and I understand it, that I need to be baptized after salvation, that it's important for me to follow the Lord in obedience. That's fantastic. That's a great thing for us to have a recognition. And, and you know, I, I just encourage you this morning to be obedient. If you're like I am, there's probably something all the time that God is working on you about, right? Isn't that the refiner's way that he's always kind of beating out the imperfections of our lives or sculpting us, if you want to say, to be a perfect vessel? And so there are parts of our lives where he speaks to us. And, and church, I just want to remind you, if we want to be powerful this year, we've got to obey. As God speaks to us, we have to obey. Now, that doesn't, that doesn't mean we get a pass if we're a teenager or we get a pass if we're a, a young adult or older adult. It doesn't matter. All of us have to obey. And maybe today God's speaking to you about something. Maybe it is specifically about baptism, that you've never been baptized on the right side of your salvation, that you've never been baptized since you have known Christ. And we'd rejoice with you if you took that next step of obedience today. But we'd rejoice with you if you took the next step 
in obedience on your faith journey no matter what it is today. Maybe you would say, this doesn't need to go forward with me anymore. I've got this sin that I need to get rid of. I need to trust God in this area of my life. We would rejoice with you in that. that. That's important for us because as we obey the Lord, the anointing of God is cultivated in our lives and, and God brings this richness of joy to our lives as we obey him. And if we want to be powerful this year, we've got to obey. But maybe today is you've seen baptism pictured and you've heard this story. Well, you've never even heard the gospel before. Can I tell it to you really quickly? Jesus Christ loved you so much that he gave his life for you. He loves you with an everlasting love. Jesus can't love you any more or any less than he already does because he gave his life for you. And the Bible says that every one of us is sinners. All of us are sinners. That means that we violated God's law and the punishment for that is death. And yet God in his mercy sent Jesus Christ to die in our place. We sang about it, the Lamb of God in my place. Blood poured out, my sin erased. It was my death you died, therefore I'm raised to life. Hallelujah, the Lamb of God. That's the gospel. That Jesus Christ died in our place, taking on our death, our sin, our shame. And that you can be made new today if you would trust him. You say, well, how do I do that? You believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Place your faith and trust in him for salvation. Repent of your sins and you'll be saved. Maybe that's you today. Whatever it is, I'm praying that in the next moments, as God speaks to us, we'll all take our next step in faith and obedience in following the Lord Jesus Christ. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for this word this morning. Thank you that, Father, you have called us to yourself. Thank you, Father, that you are raising us to be in the likeness of Christ. We pray for the one this morning that doesn't know you, that they would receive the gospel of grace and mercy in their lives, that they would confess Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Father, we pray for the one who's done that but has been waiting to be baptized. Father, I pray that they would take their next step in following you today. Father, for, for us in the room, every one of us has a next step, Lord. You're dealing with us on so many things. Father, we want to trust you. We want to be used by you. And so as we respond in faith today, Father, would you please bless our obedience. And Father, look on us with joy. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.